did anyone know that it would be the last Rezwan celebration that would receive a message from the beloved Shoghi Effendi? He was to live on this earthly plane only six months longer. The enthusiasm and devotion that the Baha'is brought to these plans was for the most part generated by their contact with the Guardian. This contact was made in two ways. One as pilgrims to the shrines at the world center, when they would also have the privilege of being in the presence of their beloved guardian. And two, through the incredible number of letters the guardian wrote to individuals and assemblies, both local and national. The hand of the cause, Dr. Hugo Giacchieri, in his book, Shoghi Effendi Recollections, describe the force of these letters. Some selections edited for brevity are as follows. Quote, to organize the affairs of the cause scattered over the continents of the globe with the purpose of erecting the unassailable foundation of the administrative order of the faith, Shoghi Effendi had to provide instruments for the use of those who would carry out his instructions. This he did mainly through patient, inspiring and illuminating letters of guidance, letters which unfolded the majestic and almost incredible plan of redemption for the whole mankind. All the letters he has written are the essence of equity, wisdom, and spirituality, and are at the same time literary gems. He never denied the light of his wisdom and of his warm, rewarding love to anyone who wrote to him. The thousands of questions put to him, either from administrative bodies of the faith or from individuals, were promptly and explicitly answered. On any given subject concerning any aspect of the teaching or on personal problems, the answers, even at intervals of many years, were identical in concept. The constancy of his answers was another of the unfathomable prodigies of the incredible mind and guidance of Shoghi Effendi. This constancy is proof of his vast, complete, orderly, and deep knowledge of the sacred writings, of his steadfast adherence to the principles and laws of the faith, and above all, of that conferred infallibility inherent in his station of guardianship." End quote. A footnote in that book mentions that in a statistical report from the Universal House of Justice, they have record of Shoghi Effendi having replied to some 26,000 letters. As for coming into the beloved guardian's presence, it was an experience that electrified the pilgrims and imbued them with a vision and devotion they never imagined possible. Excerpts from a couple sources 
seem appropriate here to attempt to convey what would happen to those who came under the spell of the guardian's magnetism. From hand of the cause Dr. Jacquery's book Shogi Effendi Recollections, remembering the first time he came in the presence of the guardian. Quote, At the far northeastern side of the table almost facing the door sat Shogi Effendi. His handsome face absorbed in deep thoughts. A few seconds elapsed as I paused unable to utter a word or a cry, while my heart was ready to burst. He lifted his head in my direction, and then I met his luminous, penetrating gaze. As he rose to greet me, a broad smile illumined his whole face, while his eyes seemed to probe my innermost being as if searching for proofs of love and trust. I cannot relate the emotion I felt on going near to him. Welcome, welcome, he said with a gentle and yet compelling voice. At last you have come. And with a rapid and unforeseen motion, he embraced me with such a tenderness that for a time I felt I was in the arms of all the mothers of the world. Satisfaction and contentment filled my heart, unable to utter a word and yet electrified by all the love expressed in this gesture, I had to steel myself not to fall at his feet, a strong urge to embrace him again and again, to make myself inconspicuous, small, humble, was overpowering me. But Shoghi Effendi must have sensed this perplexity within me and guided me to a place at the table. As soon as I was seated and had regained my control, I had the feeling that finally I had reached home. This feeling of nothingness in his presence never left me. Even years afterward, whenever I came near him, there was an overwhelming force that filled my heart with joy and awe, with the certainty that even my thoughts were visible to him. The following are excerpts from The Hand of the Cause, Mr. William Sears, Pilgrim Notes of 1954. Quote, my feelings were of mingled fear and courage. Fear to stand before him and look into those eyes that must see all the stains that darken the inside of a person. Courage that if only I could look upon him, tell him of my love and beg forgiveness in my heart, nothing else would really matter. I stiffened my liquid knees for the moment of going through the dining room door into his presence. My business life had been filled for years with first nights, but never had there been one such as this. I had tried to prepare myself to meet him by praying with such fervor as I had never used before in all my Baha'i life. At this point, I realized that if I had used that fervor before, I would have been prepared to meet him now. Then I was in the room. I heard his voice for the first time. He held out his arms and embraced me. We have been expecting you for a long time, he said as he kissed me on the right cheek, then the left, then the right. I clung to him ever so tightly. My predominant feeling was, I have come home. My chest hurt. My throat was stopped up. My eyes tried to shed tears that were pouring from every part of my being. We have heard much about you, he said. I held him tightly, hoping I need never let go. Now we are happy that you are with us at last. When my vision cleared, I could see that every other eye was also misty. My fears had all vanished now, and I felt only a transcendent happiness. 
This was as close in our day as man could come to the direct source of the power of God, his majesty, his justice, his mercy, his love. I felt them all flowing from the guardian. This guardian could be impressed by only one thing, service to the faith. Nothing would ever influence his judgment, not wealth, position, power, or friendship. The only gift that could be given him was the gift of service. The guardian calls you to a higher service. He lifts you up to heights of limitless joy, then sets you gently down. Having revealed the treasure, he requests the payment, which is service to the faith of God. End quote. In addition to transforming and edifying the believers through letters and personal contact with the pilgrims, the guardian educated and inspired the Baha'is worldwide by his matchless translations of the major writings of Baha'u'llah, including parts of the Kitab-e Akdas, plus translating and editing the first volume of the Dawnbreakers. This was no easy task. As Hand of the Cause, Dr. Gia Carey explains, quote, To translate from one language to another is an art which requires knowledge, imagination, and perfect mastery of both languages involved. There are words in one language that cannot be translated into another because they actually do not exist. From this point of view, Shoghi Effendi's translations into English from either Persian or Arabic, two flowery languages so rich in imagery and abundant in synonyms, the structure of which is so different from any modern European language. We can then better understand the immensity of his labor and the greatness of his accomplishment. End quote. In the Priceless Pearl, the biography of the guardian by his widow, Hand of the Cause Amatul Baharuhonam, she devotes an entire chapter to describe the guardian's prodigious abilities in both translating and original writing. If there is one thing we hope the listeners of this tape will remember is this make a start in reading the writings of the guardian or reread them again and again plus the book The Priceless Pearl, to gain a deeper appreciation of the amazing accomplishments of the guardian and to let his clear and beautiful writing bring you an education not attainable anywhere else in such depth on the past, present, and future of the faith of Baha'u'llah, which instills the resolve to be valiant upright and steadfast. These are a few statements from the Priceless Pearl on the writings of the Guardian. Quote, the style of Shoghi Effendi stands out in dazzling beauty. His joy in words was one of his strongest personal characteristics. Shoghi Effendi wrote what he meant and meant exactly what he wrote. It is impossible to eliminate any word from one of his sentences without sacrificing part of the meaning. So concise, so pithy is his style. The language in which Shoghi Effendi wrote, whether for the Baha'is of the West or of the East, has set a standard which should effectively prevent them from descending to the level of illiterate literates, which often so sadly characterizes the present generation as far as the use and appreciation of words are concerned. Shoghi Effendi chose the right vehicle for his thought, and it made no difference to him whether the average person was going to know the word he used or not. After all, what one does not know, one can find out. End quote. As for translating, Amatul Baha writes, quote, The supreme importance of Shoghi Effendi's English translations 
and communications can never be sufficiently stressed because of his function as sole and authoritative interpreter of the sacred writings appointed as such by Abdul Baha in his will. End quote. Every time we open a book of the writings or prayers of Baha'u'llah translated into English, we owe a debt of gratitude to the beloved guardian for the countless hours, the complete sacrifice he made of personal time so that we who are untutored in Persian and Arabic are not deprived of the transforming power of the holy words. The translations of the holy words into all other languages are based upon Shoghi Effendi's matchless English translation. The first book he translated was the Kitabe Iran, or the Book of Certitude in 1930, which is Baha'u'llah's profound explanation of the successive manifestations of God, humanity's response, and interpretation of scriptural prophecies. In 1932, Shawi Effendi translated the first part of the narrative of Nabil under the title of the Dawnbreakers, portraying in vivid language the life and times of the Bab and his followers. Additionally, the Dawnbreakers includes photos of the Bab's tablets to the letters of the living, a concise history of Islam enabling the Western reader to better understand the circumstances of the Bab, the genealogy of the Bab showing connection with the descendants of Baha'u'llah, also numerous photographs and copious footnotes. A translation of several of the major tablets of Baha'u'llah entitled Gleanings from the Writings of Baha'u'llah was presented in 1935. In quick succession followed the translation of some of prayers and meditations of Baha'u'llah and the hidden words. Between 1929 and 1936, Shulgi Effendi wrote several long general letters to the Baha'is of the West, which are gathered in one volume entitled the World Order of Baha'u'llah, designed to clarify for the believers the true meaning and purpose of the faith, its destiny and future, and provide guidance about our responsibilities. The titles of the letters within this volume are The World Order of Baha'u'llah, The World Order of Baha'u'llah, Further Considerations, The Goal of a New World Order, the Golden Age of the Cause of Baha'u'llah, America in the Most Great Peace, The Dispensation of Baha'u'llah, and The Unfoldment of World Civilization. Amatul Baha writes, quote, This bounty the Guardian spread for the believers in feast after feast, nourished them and raised up a new, strong generation of servants in the faith. His words fired their imagination, challenged them to rise to new heights, drove their roots deeper in the fertile soil of the cause. End quote. Due to terrorist activities in Palestine during 1939, Shoghi Effendi stayed in Europe, where he wrote a long general letter to the Baha'is of Canada in the United States entitled The Advent of Divine Justice. In it, he set forth the role this community was destined to play in the unfolding plan of God for the planet, emphasized the spiritual requisites involved in a truly Baha'i life, and, among other topics, announced that the reason the Western believers had been chosen as the cradle of the administrative order was not due to any inherent excellence, but by reason of the evils within that civilization. Quote, Baha'u'llah can best demonstrate to a heedless generation 
his almighty power to raise up from the very midst of a people, immersed in a sea of materialism, a prey to one of the most virulent forms of racial prejudice, and notorious for its political corruption, lawlessness, and laxity in moral standards. Men and women who will increasingly exemplify those essential virtues of self-renunciation, of moral rectitude, of chastity, of indiscriminating fellowship, of holy discipline, and of spiritual insight that will fit them for the preponderating share they will have in calling into being that world order and that world civilization of which their country, no less than the entire human race, stands in desperate need. End quote. After this, he translated the last major work of Baha'u'llah, the book, Epistle to the Son of the Wolf. In 1941, he composed another long general letter called The Promised Day is Come, addressed to the Baha'is of the West, in which he analyzes the events of the 19th and early 20th century in relation to the kings and ecclesiastics having rejected the message of Baha'u'llah. All the leaders who received tablets from Baha'u'llah are described and what happened to them in their positions. Reading this book enables one to understand recent history in a way not possible by any other means. God Passes By, published in 1944, is an exciting, moving, yet concise history of the first hundred years of the Baha'i cause. Amatol Baha describes it as one of the most concentrated and stupendous achievements of Shoghi Effendi's life, the only true book we have from his pen. She states that for one year he read about 200 books as research. Then for another year he wrote every page, first by hand, then on a manual typewriter, sometimes ten hours on end. Quote, and how many more hours we spent late into the night, when the daily typing was over each with three copies of the typescript before us, proofreading, making corrections, putting in by hand the thousands of accents on transliterated words, which Shoghi Effendi would read aloud until his eyes were bloodshot and blurred, his back and arms stiff with exhaustion. There was no possibility of working at a slower pace. He was racing against time to present the Baha'is of the West with this inimitable gift on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of the inception of their faith. End quote. Producing such a magnificent work would be all-consuming even if it could have been done in times of ease and tranquility. What were the circumstances for Shoghi Effendi at that time? Amatul Baha writes such a heart-rending passage. Shoghi Effendi, already crushed and overburdened from the weight of twenty years of guardianship, when the tide of World War II threatened to sweep over the Holy Land and engulf him and the world center of the faith in one catastrophic flow, during a period when his home was convulsed by the repercussions of covenant-breaking now affecting his own family set himself the task of appraising for all time the significance of the events of the first century of the Baha'i era. On rare occasions, it was my misfortune during these years to see him weep as if his heart would break. So great was his agony, so overwhelming the pressures that bore down upon him. End quote. Can we ever even slightly appreciate the incredible sacrifices that the beloved guardian made for us out of his great loving heart to tenderly educate us, to bring to us the spirit of true reverence for the manifestations of God? Let us try.
Amazingly, after God Passes By was finished, he wrote a shortened version in Persian for the long-suffering and persecuted followers of the native land of Baha'u'llah. It was the last book he could write, for the remaining thirteen years of his life were consumed with developing the world center and the international community. However, messages of guidance and encouragement continued to pour forth to spiritual assemblies and to individual believers up to his last days. At this point, we will mention the development of the holy places in Haifa and Akka, which the Guardian accomplished as stunning successes in the face of serious obstacles. The Baha'i properties at that time that Shoghi Effendi became the Guardian were the Shrine of Baha'u'llah, the Mansion of Bahaji, and the Rizwan Garden, all in the countryside a little way from the limits of Akka. And in Akka, the house of Abud, in which Baha'u'llah revealed the most holy book, or the Kitabe Atlas. On the slopes of Mount Carmel in Haifa, across the bay from Akka, 
there was the shrine of the Bab in its first stage of construction surrounded by some land, the house of Abdul Baha, and a pilgrim house. The ownership registry of these were mostly in the names of individuals which rendered the property's legal position insecure. Shoghi Effendi lost no time in registering them in the names of incorporated Baha'i institutions and securing tax exemptions. His goal was to win recognition for the Baha'i faith as a world religion entitled to the same status that other religions in Israel had had for centuries and he achieved this with great success. Shoghi Effendi brought his determination first to safeguarding the shrine of Baha'u'llah and, situated right next to it, the last home of Baha'u'llah known as the mansion of Bahji, meaning delight, an architecturally unique building. It had been built by a very rich Christian man in Akka who occupied it briefly and abandoned it due to outbreak of disease. When the owner died, Abdul Baha rented it in 1879 for his father Baha'u'llah and extended family. Sometime later it was purchased. After the ascension of Baha'u'llah, the half-brothers of Abdul Baha and relatives continued living at that mansion. As you know, Abdul Baha never moved himself and his family to the mansion of Bahji but remained in Akka, later moving to Haifa. The half-brothers and their relatives all became covenant-breakers by refusing to accept Abdul Baha as the center of the covenant and sole authority of the faith, which was clearly defined in the will and testament of Baha'u'llah. Therefore they were wily and hardened adversaries of Shoghi Effendi as well. By the 1920s, the mansion was in a serious state of disrepair, almost in ruins. The occupants demanded that Shoghi Effendi repair it for them, but he would not unless they evacuated. At the end of 1929, when the roof was about to collapse, they did evacuate the mansion, but occupied the adjacent house for the next 28 years. It brought the Guardian and the Baha'i world great joy when in mid-1957, state authorities granted an expropriation order for the buildings occupied by the Covenant Breakers. They had to move, and the precincts of the Holy Shrine of Baha'u'llah were finally cleansed from what Shoghi Effendi termed spiritual defilement. He was looking forward to the demolition of their unsightly apartments right next to the shrine, but passed away before it was accomplished. Referring back to 1929, when the mansion was vacated, such was its deterioration at the hands of the former tenants that it took two years of reconstruction to bring the mansion back to its original beauty. Upon completion, one of the first visitors to be invited by Shoghi Effendi was the British High Commissioner who agreed that the mansion did indeed deserve to be preserved as a place of pilgrimage and historical museum rather than remain at the mercy of neglectful and inimical heirs. In 1952, Shoghi Effendi was able to obtain a good deal of land surrounding the shrine and mansion of Baha'u'llah and designed gardens spreading out as rays from its center, the holy shrine of Baha'u'llah. When the last of the Covenant Breakers buildings were removed, the glorious landscaping was completed. At the same time that the Guardian was dealing with safeguarding and restoring the mansion and shrine of Baha'u'llah, he also had another immense project, the completion of the Shrine of the Bab, which the Master, Abdu'l-Baha, had started. 
the acquisition of a protective belt of land surrounding it, and the eventual erection of the beautiful and majestic domed superstructure over the plain stone shrine building. The Bab, which means the gate, was not only the herald of Baha'u'llah, but was also an independent prophet or manifestation of God. He was martyred in Iran in 1850. His sacred remains were then kept in secret places, safeguarded from the enemies of his cause. In the late 1890s, the precious casket was brought to the Holy Land and concealed in the Master's house. Prior to that, Baha'u'llah had pointed out to the Master the very spot on the slope of Mount Caramel where the mausoleum should be built to enshrine the holy dust of the Blessed Bab. Abdu'l-Baha was able to overcome incredible obstacles and opposition to purchase the plot of land and erect six rooms of a nine-room mausoleum of native stone. In 1909, the building received its sacred trust. Nineteen years later, Shoghi Effendi had solid rock excavated, making space for the construction of the remaining three rooms. The next step was to bring into being the superstructure, as envisioned by Abdu'l-Baha. It was to have an arcade surrounding the nine rooms and be surmounted by a dome. Time passed until the right architect was found. Amatel Baha Rohia Khanom's father was a deeply devoted Baha'i and a well-known architect in Canada. After her mother passed away in 1940, her father, Mr. William Sutherland Maxwell, came to live with them in Haifa. The guardian invited Mr. Maxwell to design the superstructure for the Shrine of the Bab. Working in close and loving collaboration, a unique design was formulated that was neither Eastern nor Western in style, nor did it resemble either a mosque or a church. On May 22, 1944, it was announced that a design for the Shrine of the Bab had been chosen. An auspicious date, the 100th anniversary of the Declaration of the Bab. However, because of the impact of World War II, on the economy and availability of materials, over three years passed before a building permit was requested. Because of civil strife in Palestine, soon to become the State of Israel in 1948, it was impossible to get stone from Palestinian quarries. Knowing that costs would keep rising by delaying, Shoghi Effendi decided to investigate obtaining carved stone from Italy. Dr. Gia Carey, a very energetic, educated, and devoted Baha'i living in Rome, served as the Guardian's personal representative in locating stone that would endure over 500 years. This was not an easy task, as Italy had not recovered from the devastation of World War II. Through fortuitous and near-miraculous chain of events, the proper granite and marble was located in addition to all other building materials. Shipments of over 150 tons of cut, carved, and polished stone began in November 1948. The interior decoration includes one immense crystal chandelier in the inner chamber and numerous precious Persian carpets on the floors. The holy threshold fronting the inner chamber is covered every morning with fresh, fragrant flowers. The tomb of Abdu'l-Baha in an adjacent room is also decorated with a crystal chandelier, Persian carpets, and fresh flowers. The fascinating details of the materials, the workmanship, and sacred symbolisms of the design of the Shrine of the Bab are reported in Dr. Giacchieri's book entitled Shoghi Effendi. The beloved guardian joyously announced to the Baha'i world the completion of the holy edifice in October 1953. In the message, he poetically describes the shrine, quote, Queen of Carmel enthroned on God's mountain, crowned in glowing gold, robed in shimmering white, 
girdled in emerald green, enchanting every eye from air, sea, plain, and hill. End quote. He also stated that it was not only the first and most holy edifice at the world center of the faith, but was the initial international institution heralding the establishment of the supreme legislative body of the world administrative order. Yes, indeed. You see, it was only ten years later, in 1963, that the supreme legislative body, the Universal House of Justice, was born. One might ask if the present basic building now as the shrine of Baha'u'llah will also have a majestic superstructure built over it. Dr. Jokeri recounts in his book a discussion Shoghi Effendi gave on the future embellishment of the shrine of Baha'u'llah. The beloved guardian contemplated surrounding the sepulchre with a colonnade which would dramatize it from far and near, 95 monolithic columns of Carrera marble, 7 meters high, arrayed in pairs over a platform of the same marble, the whole ensemble-like arms stretching ready to embrace an awesome complex whose brilliant majesty would glorify and enshrine the precious and sacred holy of holies. The future Glorification of the Shrine of Baha'u'llah is referred to in some messages from Shawi Effendi to the Baha'i world. One more monumental building on Mount Carmel was to be erected in the Guardian's lifetime. It is known as the International Archives Building and its purpose is to reverently preserve and display precious original sacred writings and historical articles which had been associated with the lives of the Bab, Baha'u'llah, and Abdul Baha, as well as the martyrs and heroes. The collection steadily grew as families who had safeguarded these articles for generations found that the proper place would be at the Baha'i World Center. In 1954, Shoghi Effendi decided to begin the planning of an archives building. He announced the plan with foresighted certitude of its meaning for the future. Quote, the first of the major edifices destined to constitute the seat of the World Baha'i Administrative Center to be established on Mount Carmel. End quote. Shawi Effendi held great admiration for ancient Greek architecture as it is dignified and timeless in style. He chose the proportions of Parthenon as his model for the archives building and as a precedent for the type of future buildings at the Baha'i World Center. Again, Dr. Giacchieri was his agent in Italy for the acquisition of carved white marble. Interestingly, its one immense stained glass window is from Sicily, the roof tiles from Holland, the crystal chandeliers from Czechoslovakia, the floor tiles from England, cabinet of Japanese and Chinese work, truly international in more than one way. The stunning beautiful building was finished in mid-1957, set into gardens already planned and planted before the construction started. Shoghi Effendi planned the site for the archives building at the far right side of a large arc which sweeps across the slope of the mountain. At the top of the center of the ark now stands the seat of the Universal House of Justice. At the time of this talk, 1995, construction is underway for
for the magnificently landscaped terraces below and above the Shrine of the Bab, the International Baha'i Library, the International Teaching Center, the Center for the Study of the Text, plus a basement expansion to the International Archives, all in fulfillment of the beloved guardian's vision of mystical allusions by Baha'u'llah in the Tablet of Carmel. Quote, Ere long will God sail his ark upon thee. End quote. The year 1957 was the 113th year from the beginning of the Baha'i era. The ten-year world crusade was progressing with marvelous advances. The holiest house of worship, Mother Temple of the West, after 50 years of struggle, had been finished and dedicated four years earlier. Three temples were under construction in Africa, Europe, and Australia. Sites for future temples had been purchased in many countries. Record numbers of valiant pioneers were establishing the faith in countries previously unopened. For many years, the weighty messages from the Guardian had become the guiding light and focus of attention for Baha'is all around the world. No one could know or want to know that a happy and victorious message to the Baha'i world from the Guardian in October 1957 was to be his last. Was there anyone who pondered deeply why in this message he appointed eight more hands of the cause, double the number of auxiliary board members who assisted the hands, and charged them with the specific duty of watching over the security of the faith? Could anyone guess why he now designated the hands of the cause as the chief stores of Baha'u'llah's embryonic world commonwealth? Closing of the earthly life of the guardian came so unexpectedly, so quietly and swiftly, that the Baha'is of the world who had relied upon him unremittingly for thirty-six years were sent reeling in shock and dismay. In the fall of 1957, Shoghi Effendi and his beloved wife, closest companion and helper, hand of the cause Amatol Baha Rohia Khanom, were in London to purchase furnishings for the archives building. He had a brief illness from influenza and was recuperating. His last evening was spent listing names and places on a map of the world, recording the victories won for the faith by the pioneers. It was at last finished, but then he stayed up to read the vast amounts of reports that came to him from Baha'is all over the world. In the morning, of November 4th, Amatul Baha spoke to him as he appeared to be awake and resting as if quietly as thinking. But this time there was no answer. Shoghi Effendi, our only guardian of the faith, had responded to the call of Abdu'l-Baha. Shoghi Effendi, 
that priceless pearl, had joined his beloved grandfather, Abdu'l-Bahá, at the court of the Blessed Beauty. The funeral was in a chapel of a cemetery in London, attended by hundreds of his inconsolable loved ones from every race and nation. The monument to his memory is a single white marble column with the Corinthian capital surmounted by a globe, atop of which is a bronze eagle with wings outspread, a symbol of victory. Inscribed on the column are these words from the will and testament of Abdu'l-Bahá. Behold, he is the blessed and sacred bough that has branched out from the twin holy trees. Well is it with him that seeketh the shelter of his shade, that shadoweth all mankind. After the blinding heat of sorrow had passed, the hands of the cause then undertook the new responsibilities which the guardian had laid upon them in his last messages. They guided and guarded the faith of Baha'u'llah through the added sorrow of realizing that no one existed who met the requirements in Abdul Baha's will for Shoghi Effendi's successor. This became a great test to the insincere and ambitious. The ocean of the covenant surged and the bodies of the dead were cast out. Through the guidance of the hands of the cause as the chief stewards of the faith, the ten-year world crusade came to a glorious conclusion in the centenary year of the declaration of Baha'u'llah, which was celebrated by a world congress held in London. With 56 national assemblies established, the fruit of the guardian's labors these pillars of the Universal House of Justice were ready to support it. Therefore, under the direction of the hands of the cause, the Universal House of Justice was elected and its members were introduced to the Baha'i World Congress in London in 1963. How could anyone do justice to describing the accomplishments of Shoghi Effendi? the priceless pearl, the sign of God on earth. This brief presentation is far from adequate. Because of time constraint, many important things could not be included, but it is hoped that it will inspire you to understand and appreciate our beloved guardian more deeply. <laughs>